the connection between the prayer life and the spirit life is so close. It cannot be separated. Uh, the, the spirit-filled life requires that continual prayer life. For if we're going to be spiritual, if we're going to be following after our Lord, if we're going to be doing the things that He's called us to, if we're going to be serving Him, it requires of us to be a prayerful people. You can't, you can't serve the Lord and be separate from prayer. You can't, you can't be faithful to Him. You can't be devoted to Him and not be praying. We have to be a praying people. We have to be on our knees before His throne. This idea, this reality, was very evident in the life of our Lord. And just a brief study of His life will give us a wonderful view of the power and the holiness of prayer as our Lord, we see Him enjoining in that time of prayer so often as is recorded for us in the Scriptures. And we find Him praying and communing with the Father at the beginning and ending of each day. We see that recorded for several times in the Gospels. And just before every major event in His ministry, we see that time of prayer that is, is specifically mentioned to us in regards to our Lord and His service to do this work that He'd come to do. And so let's begin looking at these times of prayer of our Lord. Go back to Matthew 4, and we'll see there in verse 1 of this passage of Him praying given to us. Now this is, He comes to John there at the River Jordan. He is baptized there by John the Baptist. Uh, He comes up out of the water, the Bible tells us. The Spirit of God descends upon Him in the likeness of a dove, and they hear the the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it tells us here in verse 1 of chapter 4 that Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Now fasting, he doesn't specifically say here he was praying, but that's what the fasting is for. Fasting is to is, is not to lose weight. I mean, you can do that. You can fast to lose weight, but that's not the purpose of it that's given to us in the Scripture. To fast in the Scripture, to fast, to, to go without that food that we're told here in the Scripture is to separate us unto God that we spend that time in prayer. That we are fasting to spend that time in prayer before the Lord to seek His face to, to seek His direction, to seek His guidance, for Him to work in us. And so this, this time of fasting, this 40 days of fasting, was the Lord fasting before His Father, praying before His Father, being strengthened and tested for this work at hand. And it was for those 40 days that He was tempted of the devil there in the wilderness while He was praying and spending that time in the presence of His Father. He was surrendering Himself to the work of His Father. He was surrendering Himself to this, to this task that was ever before Him throughout His ministry 
to go forth to be that, that sacrifice for you and I. That was the preparation. That's what it was all about. Was him go for that. That what he calls it his hour. His hour. That was what he came to do, you see. And so he was spending this time in fasting and prayer as he begins this work of the ministry to go forward to give himself for us. And so we see this example of his praying. In fact, 40 days and 40 nights he had enjoined in this time of prayer to his father. Now notice another time in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter number 6, down in verse number 12, we find here the the calling of His disciples when He chooses these twelve unto Himself. He spends all night in prayer. Spends all night in prayer, giving Himself to that time of prayer, to that time of communion with His Father in the choosing of these twelve. To be his apostles. To follow after him. And he says there in verse number 12. It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. And continued all night in prayer to God. Continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. And so he prayed all night in the choosing of these twelve. And how important these twelve were in his ministry. Even Judas, for the role that he would play in the betrayal of the Lord. Even he, how important he was in these these twelve being those aligned with the Lord. These twelve that were his apostles that would be uh, witness of these things and how integral they would be in the continued spreading of the gospel after the ascension of the Lord and the establishment of churches and the writing of the scripture. How important these twelve were in that regard to have such an impact. And to, to the point that when we get over to the book of Acts, the Scripture tells us these that have called them, these that have turned the world upside down. How important, how important they were in the work of the Lord here as He would spend all night in prayer to the Father, praying over these twelve. Another example is in Luke chapter number 9 and verse number 18 and verse number 20. Luke chapter 9. It says, It came to pass, verse 18, as he was alone praying... His disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? Then answering, said John the Baptist, or they answering, I should say, said John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. And he he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? 
Peter answering said, the Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. And then he begins to tell them of his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. As he would tell them there, verse 22, Son of man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be slain and be raised the third day. And so it, it is in this confession of Peter here, and the confession for that matter of all of the disciples as the Lord is questioning him, and he reveals himself to his disciples. It was just after he was in communion with his Father. He was spending that time in prayer with the Father. Luke 9 again, verse 27. We see this remarkable event of the transfiguration of our Lord. Verse 27 says, But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 28, And it came to pass about an eight days, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. And his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. It's interesting, they knew who it was. Now they, they didn't have no pictures of them. Right? They didn't. They didn't see Da Vinci's painting of them somewhere, hanging in a, a museum somewhere. Nobody had taken a photo of Moses when he was on Mount Sinai, or nobody had taken a photo of Elijah when he was in battle on the Mount uh, on Mount Carmel with those those four hundred prophets of Baal. Nobody had pictures of them, but the disciples knew exactly who it was that the Lord was talking to that night. And there he's transfigured before them. And, and Elijah and Moses are there with him, talking with him there on the mountain. And it says, verse 31, who appeared in glory and spake to his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. Now, they're, they're talking about his death. That's what they're talking with the Lord about. Moses and Elijah there, talking with him about his death. And, and notice how Luke words that there, which he should accomplish. Which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Verse number 31. Which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. That, that little phrase is so important there. Because the Romans and all of their... And all their fierce anger and all their fierce wrath, the, the Jews and all of their rebuke and all of their mocking and all of their crying out, crucifying, crucifying, none of them took his life. He gave himself. He gave himself. He accomplished. He accomplished that for us. And so that which he accomplished at Jerusalem. And it says, verse 32, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. 
And when they were awake, they saw his glory, and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud, and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Hear him. The Lord was transfigured here. He went up into the mountain to pray. And Elijah and Moses came to him there in his prayer, came to him and talked with him concerning his death that he would accomplish for his people. And Peter, so missing what they were talking about, was so in awe of what he saw. Peter said, no, we don't need to go down from this place, Lord. We'll just stay right here. We'll build a tabernacle for you. We'll build one for those. We'll build one for a lot. We'll just stay right here. There ain't no no reason for us to go anywhere else. He'd seen just a glimpse of the glory of the Lord, and he was satisfied to stay right there. Not, Not comprehending or not holding on to what they were talking about. The Lord wasn't intending on staying on no mountain and just resting there. He had a purpose. And that's what he had come to pray to his father about as he was transfigured before them here. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Verse number 1 through down, down through verse number 13. Read a long passage. We'll read all of this though. Luke 11, verse 1, came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as so in as in heaven, so in earth, rather. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now that word importunity... It means to press with solicitation. It means to urge or to solicit with frequent or unceasing application. Even to the point of annoyance. To annoy with unremitting demands. That's kind of the context the Lord says here. Your friend says, no, I'm not going to do it, but you keep after it. No, 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 I need some bread. Come out and give me some bread. Get out of bed. It ain't going to hurt you to get out of bed and come give me some bread. If you keep it up, he's going to get out of bed. He's going to be annoyed with you. 
Now when it comes to that importunity, the Lord's telling us the importance here of importunity in our prayer. Is what He's teaching us. The importunity in our prayer. Now our, our importunity in our prayers, we have boldness, we are given, we're given that, that, uh, that, that place that we can enter in boldly into the presence of God, as Paul says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10. But then the Greek, the importunity here as it relates to God, is without that annoyance and rudeness. And rather connotates a reverence and awe before God when we come into His presence. Even with importunity, we are in reverence and awe of Him as we bring to Him our petitions. And so there is importance. There is importance for us to hold on to our Lord when we bring Him our petitions, when we bring Him our prayers. That we hold on to Him. As I love that example of Jacob when he's wrestling with the Lord there. And the Lord says, let me go. The daybreak is coming. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And Jacob didn't even know who he was talking to at that point. He didn't even know who he was talking to. He did, the next morning. He did that morning. Right after that took place, he knew exactly who he had been talking to then. But even at the point when he was wrestling, he had no idea. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the Lord blesses him there. And that's what he means here with this importunity, that we, we hang on to him. We hang on to him when we bring him our prayers, when we bring him our petitions. This is what he's teaching us to do, that we, we hang on for his answers. As he teaches his disciples to pray. John 14. John 14, verse number 16. He gives, he's speaking to his disciples here. He's teaching them about his going away and his preparation for them and eventually coming to receive them again. He tells them there in verse 16, he promises them a comforter. And he says here that he would pray for them and for us. He said, I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever. Notice the confidence in the Lord's prayer. He shall give. He, I'll pray for you. I'll pray to the Father for you. And he shall Give you another comforter. He has great confidence in that prayer and in that time of prayer before his Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Then notice chapter 17, John 17. The whole passage here is. The high priestly prayer of our Lord. This is indeed the Lord's prayer that we see here in John 17 as He is praying here. And He prays He prays for Himself and about what He's about to endure and about what He's getting ready to go through even that very night. He prays for His disciples and the test that this would be for them 
and, and then the subsequent days following, that the Lord would be with them and strengthening them during that time. Uh, he prays for power. He prays for His resurrection. He prays for His glorification. These are all things He prays for in this prayer. Uh, verse 12 particularly, He prays for His disciples when He says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that, ha- that Thou gavest Me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And he, so He's praying for them. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And so he's praying for his disciples. He prays not only for them that were present with him, but also for you and I and the, the elect he's praying for. We see that in verse 20 of this same passage. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's you and I. Here our Lord is praying for us as well. And so He prays for Himself. He prays for His disciples. He prays for us, all of His elect. He's lifting them up before the Lord. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, it's His prayer at this same time. Uh, Just right after this prayer of John 17, according to what John 17 says, that he comes into the the Garden of Gethsemane and there prays again. And he tells us there in, in Matthew 26 and verse number 36 that he goes apart to pray. And he says there in verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane or the place of the olive press, and he saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He was in such sorrow, such pain as to what was about to happen to him or what he was about to go through. His hour had come. And he tells them to watch with him as he prays. He's so sorrowful, he says. Even unto death. I mean, that's, it was heavy on him. This pain about what was about to take place. In verse 39 it says, He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. He desired that cup of separation from the Father pass from Him. And nevertheless, He yielded Himself fully to His Father's will. I I don't think, He's not asking here that the, the cross would pass Him up. 
I don't think that's what he's asking here. I don't think he's talking about the severity of the punishment that he was about to receive from man. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think what he's talking about here is that separation from the Father, which again, I can't fully explain. I can't fully understand it even. It's just I know that's what he experienced, some kind of separation from his Father as he took my sin and your sin upon himself and died in our place. Taking the punishment of that, of that sin in our stead for us. I believe that's not even the bearing of that sin for us, but I believe he's praying here of that, that separation that would be between him and the Father. Whatever that looked like, whatever that was. Because he said his Bible tells us he set his face like a flint to go and do what he was going to do. He 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 came. This is his whole purpose was to come and to and to die on the cross. The, the Bible tells us who Paul says who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down the right hand of the Majesty on high. He come to do that was his one goal. That was his task. That was his hour to go to the cross. And he did so for the joy that was set before him. And I, I believe primarily that joy is you and I. His elect. And so I believe this, this cup that he's asking to pass is that whatever that was, whatever that appeared to be, that separation between him and the Father as he would take upon himself our sin. But nevertheless, he yielded himself to the will of his Father. And we see, verse 40, he came, and he cometh rather unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is, this is already after he told Peter. He'd already told him. Satan desires to sift you like wheat. You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows tonight. And Peter's asleep. He's asleep. And the Lord said, why aren't you praying? Why aren't you praying? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Verse 42, it says, He went away again the second time and prayed. Saying, O oh my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them again, asleep again rather, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. And the next words they heard him say was, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. 
even in his declaration to them that the betrayal was about to take place, they still slept on. That didn't even stir them away. We see at all of these events, these are some major events that we see here in the Scripture, and there are others, many others that we can find in the four Gospels where we find our Lord devoting Himself to prayer. As He comes before His Father, He spends His time in the presence of the Father doing these seemingly mundane tasks and doing these big things that we see here in in these verses that we've looked at tonight. And he's, he's, He's always enjoining. He's always coming to that place where He's coming to His Father in prayer, recognizing and realizing in, in His work, in the ministry that He's doing, in the things that, that the, the people that He's talking to, the people that He's in the presence of, the audience that's there hearing Him, the events that's taking place, the events that would shortly come to pass. In all of those instances, in all of those times, we see Him enjoining that time in prayer with His Father. How important it was for him to be praying. How important it was for him to be seeking his Father's face. Knowing the importance of this next event. Knowing the importance of what he was doing in that moment. Knowing the importance of what he was going forward to do in the service of his Lord. The service of his Father, I should say. The disciples... Particularly here, were told what was about to take place. They were told how they were going to respond. They were told about what was going to transpire. And they slept on. They slept on. The example of our Lord, the example the Lord has given us with such with such a, a comparison, particularly here, with the importance for him and with what was about to take place compared to the importance of His disciples and what was about to take place. They just, whether they, they simply didn't understand, whether they simply couldn't grasp all, and I know that's the case, I know they just couldn't grasp all of it that He was telling them in that moment, but you, you think that they would have been a little bit more aware about what the Lord was telling them in those moments. But they slept on. But our Lord's example to us is pray. Pray. In the big events of our life, pray. In the little events of our life, pray. Sometimes we might pray all night. Sometimes we might pray several days. Some days we might have to fast and pray about these things that go on in our lives. 
we, as God's children, have to realize the eternal impact of every single day. The eternal impact of every single day. There's too much of self in me. There's too much of the world in me. That too often I miss the eternal impact of my day. Our Lord did not miss that. He did not miss that eternal impact of each one of His days. He was keenly aware, keenly aware of what He was working and what He was doing each and every moment of His life. We as His people, we need to be mindful. We need to be mindful of that reality each and every day that this life that we live, this life that has been given us, is not just about this life. But this life our Lord has given us, these, these days, these breaths, that He has given us for this day has an eternal impact on us and on everyone we come in contact with around us. And with that big of a stake, we need to be praying. We need to be praying without ceasing every day. Lord, Lord, lead me. Lord, teach me. Lord, make me. Lord, help me. Lord, be with me. Lord, forgive me. Every day, pray. Sometimes pray all night. Sometimes pray all day. Sometimes fast and pray. Sometimes pray and pray and... Go and pray and go and pray. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Recognizing our every day. Our every day is the gift that God has given us to glorify Him in. Pray. Pray that we might glorify Him. Let's all stay and we'll be dismissed.